Welcome to the Everyman's Battle podcast. I'm Steve Arterburn, co-author of the book, Everyman's Battle. In the year 2000, New Life Ministries created the Everyman's Battle Workshop. Now this workshop's been held monthly ever since, and it's designed to coach and challenge men to better understand their struggles and also how to navigate through those struggles with God's help. The Everyman's Battle podcast contains provocative conversations led by J.J. West and Doug Barnes, their licensed family and marriage counselors, who are also leaders of the Everyman's Battle workshops. All right, welcome to the Everyman's Battle podcast. Uh, you're in for a treat today. My name is Doug Barnes. I've been working with uh, Everyman's Battle for quite a while. Today, we're going to hear uh, all things J.J. West. Uh, if you're not familiar with J.J., uh, he will tell you his story in depth, but he is uh, the main speaker, one of the main speakers for Everyman's Battle, and um, he speaks at our Intimacy and in Marriage Workshop, uh, and you'll hear him on the New Life Live radio program as well. So we're going to hear a lot about his story today. Uh, JJ uh, is currently uh, married 26 years. Uh, he lives yes, in sir. Florida. Went to Florida State University. Oh, hi, JJ. Welcome to the program. Hey, Doug. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to be glad. here. Good. So let's start with what, how did you land up here? How did you get to this place of working with, uh, well, before we get there, tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get to this place of your own integrity drive? Oh, man. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a, uh... That's a big story. <laughs> so I, I was exposed to pornography at about five or six years old. Um, those of you who've been to the workshop uh, know my story well, but for those of you in the audience who've not been to the workshop, you don't know that uh, I grew up in the home of a, what I would call a full-blown sex addict. My dad had every pornographic magazine, at least one issue of every pornographic magazine that was in print in the 70s, uh, hidden somewhere in the house or the, the shed or the workshop or the um, bathroom or whatever, or the store, the furniture store that my parents owned, uh, and had a subscription to a couple of them. And so I was bringing in the mail one day, like I said, about five, six years old, and uh, the 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 pornographic magazines that would come in the mail at that time came in these these brown paper wrappers that were sealed on the long end but open on the short end <clears throat> and i honestly don't remember if i if i slid the magazine out myself or if it just fell out as i was bringing in the mail but what i do remember is the image it fell open to i mean this was now 47 years ago. <laughs> um, mm. And that image is seared in my brain. Like I, re mm -hmm. I remember the image it fell open to because it was the first time I had seen an image of a naked woman. I'd never right. experienced that before. And, and right away, boy, there was something I was drawn to. Like I felt this like electricity shoot through my body, but I also noticed something else uh, and I, I couldn't have put words to it at the time at, at that age, but I, 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 I had this idea that if somebody saw me looking at that image, that I would be in trouble. 
and I needed to put it away. So I quickly put the magazine away. So now I understand that that's shame. At the time, I didn't know what that was. Uh, but I put it away. And it wasn't long before I realized, okay, these magazines keep showing up at the house. They must be somewhere because I never see them leave. So <laughs> they, they've got to be somewhere. And so I found all of these stashes that my dad had in the mm. bedside table and in the box under the bed and in the shed and, you know, every, everywhere, right? And as, as a elementary school student, I would get a chance every once in a while to peruse those magazines, but not very often and not for very long at, the, you know, at, at a, any given time. But by the time I was in middle school, I had a lot more freedom. I was, I was, I was also, for those of you who haven't listened to, to Doug's uh, podcast, uh, where, we, where we dive into all things Doug, you'll notice the similarities in our stories. I was also the youngest by birth. And uh, I, was, I was, quote unquote, the good kid. I, um, you know, I, I followed the rules and I got good grades and I was respectful and all of that. But what really was happening, I wasn't really the good kid. I was just, I was learning from my older siblings. I saw how they would get in trouble and I learned to be sneakier than them. I learned to be craftier mm -hmm. than them, but yep. not, not, not I better. I wasn't, I wasn't more well-behaved. I was just good. I was better at hiding my stuff. So by the time I was in middle school, I had a lot more freedom. And so I had convinced my parents to let me, instead of going to the furniture store to work after, after school, if I got good enough grades, I got paid, but paid for A's. Right. And so if I went home after school and did my homework and studied, then I could, I could not go to the store and work. And so of course, I took up, you know, took that option, right? And mm -hmm. I would come home from middle school and I would spend, you know, an hour or two looking at pornography before the rest of the family got home. And so by what started off early on as, <clears throat> um, you know, looking at it from time to time for a little bit of time, by the time I was in middle school, I was looking at it almost every single day and I was looking at it for hours on end. And so I was, I was addicted at that point. Right. Um, and then, and then as well, uh, my, my addiction took another, another turn or another uh, added layer in that I began to engage in what's called voyeurism, uh, which for those of you who don't necessarily know the definition of that word, it's, it's anytime you are engaged in uh, watching other people undress or engaged in some sort of sexual activity. Usually they don't know that you're there. It's kind of the classic peeping Tom. Um, by the time I was in middle school, I was already engaged in that behavior. And, uh, and so both of those things were happening. <clears throat> and I was growing up in a home where not only was my, you know, dad, uh, a sex addict by all, you know, definition of the, of the term of the word. Um, but I was also growing up in a home where we just didn't talk that much. We just didn't, we didn't talk about important things. I mean, we all got along. We, you know, we, I fully believe we loved each other, um, cared about each other, but we didn't, we didn't take the time to listen and, and ask important questions and dig in. And so, uh, I really didn't know who to talk to in my family. Like, you know, a Again, like Doug, I, I never got the 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 sex talk. I never got the birds and the bees talk. The only, literally, the only conversation that I remember 
was, again, sometime maybe 10, 12 years old. Uh, there was some um, <laughs> conversation happening with the adults at the furniture store about the fact that they were going to have condo commercials on TV and how this was just crazy. And so I pipe up and say, what's a condom? And, you know, <laughs> silence, right? <laughs> like there's you know, no one, it's just crickets in the background, right? And and so no one says anything. But later that day, my dad pulls me aside in the warehouse and begins to describe to me what a condom is. <clears throat> and I think the whole conversation lasted maybe two or three minutes tops. Probably not even that long. It was probably like 30 seconds. Uh, but, you know, it was like it felt like four hours as he's describing. And and uh, it was just so uncomfortable. Right. Like the whole that whole thing, even though it lasted just a couple of minutes, was so uncomfortable. And that was it. That was the only conversation we ever had about about sex, about sexuality, other than. As we would drive around, if my dad and I were driving around, like making deliveries or something, or if like we were in the mall and maybe mom and my sisters were in a store and my dad and I were waiting out front or something, he would regularly point out women to ogle, right? He would say, oh, mm. check her out three o'clock, check her out six o'clock. Wow, she's really pretty. Oh, wow, she's she's attractive. <clears throat> so that was it. That was my that was the extent of my conversations with my family. So, so I was really left to figure out what does it mean to be a man? What is this whole sex thing all about? I had to figure all that out on my own. And my only teachers were, you know, the pages of these pornographic magazines and then what I would learn from TV shows and movies. So I, so I was pretty messed up. <laughs> I had a pretty, I had a pretty skewed view of what it meant to be a guy, what it meant to be a man, uh, and and what sexuality was all about. It was all very selfish, self focused. Um, it never, it never even occurred to me to think about how my behavior might be impacting the the girls around me. Never even, never even occurred to me. In fact, to that point, I remember um, when I was in high school, I had a subscription to Sports Illustrated. And the, you know, many of you probably know that once a year, uh, Sports Illustrated would have the swimsuit issue. Swimsuit issue, yeah. The swimsuit issue. And so I had taken all of the pictures from that year's swimsuit issue and put them up on my, my bedroom wall. And my mom came in one day and she said, hey – um, you may want to think about having these on your wall if if a girl came over, how she might feel if you had these up on your wall. I'm blown away. Ouch. Like, oh, huh. I didn't think about that. I mean, had never even considered how it might impact other people. And so the next time she came in, she's like, oh, you took all the pictures down. <laughs> no, I just put them all in the closet. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> Thanks, mom. I just, I, just, I just put them all on, like, because she went to put something away in the closet. She opened up. She's like, oh, here's where they all are. <laughs> you know, but, you know, she at least had, she that question at least started me considering the fact that I lived in a world with other people and they had their own feelings and they had their own desires and they had their own goals. It wasn't just about me. Wow. I want to switch gears a little bit to, to ask this question. Mm -hmm. How, how did that background, do you think, how did that affect you becoming a, a therapist as you, as you continued to, to grow? How do you think that affected that? Well, 
I think because I carried so much shame about my sexual acting out behavior. I mean, I felt like a monster, uh, especially with the voyeurism. The, the pornography bothered me. It certainly wasn't something I would want to advertise or have known, but it wasn't, it really was the voyeurism that, that I carried the most shame about. And I just felt, I felt so broken. I felt so, so dirty, so, um, you know, unclean, right? The, the, the leper, right? Like, you know, if, mm -hmm. if anyone knew this about me, uh, they would, they would reject me, they would run away. And so I, I carried around all this, this shame felt so awful about myself and, and everything that I was trying to do to correct my behavior wasn't working. And, and so when I was in, after, after, after I'd gotten through college and I, pardon me, after I'd gotten through college and gone to grad school, and now I was working professionally as a, as a professional Christian, by the way, in full-time ministry, <laughs> um, you know, and still struggling. I said, you know, I got to do something different. So I started seeing a therapist and talking about this issue and and that opened my eyes to the fact that I could I could experience healing right it 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 started me on a journey of of looking at not just the behavior but the why behind the behavior what are some of the wounds that are there that I'm you know we talk about at the workshop we we keep trying to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways outside of mm -hmm. God's will and design I, right. I was unaware of the legitimate needs. I was only aware of the illegitimate ways that I was trying to meet those needs, uh, the behavior. But I had no, I, I never really had investigated what were the legitimate needs behind it. And counseling allowed me to do that. And so once I'd had that experience as a recipient, it, was, it wasn't long after that before I realized, man, I, I really want to do this professionally. And so at the time as well, when I was working as a campus minister, one of the things that uh, it was a group called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I worked with them for nine years, eight years paid, one year volunteer. And one of the things they do after your first four years is they have this big kind of survey interview process where they they ask a bunch of people in your world to to fill out these surveys, these these questionnaires. And and the net result of all of that was one of the strengths of my of my time in ministry was the way that I offered counseling, the way that I counseled others. And it was like, oh, okay, so this is legit. This isn't just, ooh, this was great for me. I would love to be able to do this. Like I have some some skills and abilities and knowledge in this area. And so that's when I decided to go back to school, get a degree in marriage and family therapy and and then shortly thereafter, once I once I got my degree, I worked in a couple other kind of areas of counseling, doing in-home therapy for the therapeutic foster care system, <clears throat> did a very short stint in a in-house treatment facility for teenagers dealing with drug and alcohol uh, stuff. <clears throat> but it wasn't very long into private practice before I started working with guys struggling with sexual integrity. And then... Very shortly thereafter, got introduced to the Every Man's Battle workshop. 2009 was my very first workshop as a small group facilitator. 
I'd never, I'd never been to the workshop before. I really hadn't heard about it. Um, but I, you know, got on the new life counselor network and got on the list of, yes, I'd be willing to facilitate small groups. And so 2009 in Atlanta, got to facilitate my first group, got to have my first experience of the workshop. And Doug, I mean, I was blown away. I was just blown away by the the intensity of the work that was done at the workshop, uh, seeing, you know, something that in our private practice might take months to get guys to. They were they were doing that in a weekend. And I mean, I, I mean, literally, I'm, I'm in like tears as I'm as I'm going through the workshop as a facilitator. I'm like, I'm crying. I'm, I'm ripped apart. Like, this is amazing. And so that started the journey where I was a facilitator for, gosh, about a decade, about a decade. Um, and then in 2022. I got the call from Larry Sonnenberg, the at the time president of, of New Life, uh, saying, hey, Jason, who was the facilitator at the time, has decided to to retire. <laughs> uh, and he he suggested that you take over. And I was shocked by that call. I mean, it was the week before Thanksgiving. And I <laughs> I was like, Larry, are you sure you have the right number? Like, I don't, I think we have a bad connection here. Like, this is, this is kind of crazy, <laughs> but, but something in me knew that it was right. Something in me knew that even though it was a, a daunting task to step into that role, because as you know, Jason had done it so well for so long, <clears throat> it was very daunting to step into that role, but I knew there was something, there was something in the, in the invitation, there was something in me. Uh, that I think God was God was saying, this is this is from me. This is this is an invitation from me, and I want you to step into it. All right, that's really awesome. Uh, so, JJ, uh, what was it like stepping into that role for you as the the one of the main speakers for Every Man's Battle? Walk yeah, us through it, that. It was it was scary. Uh, it was daunting. It was uh, nerve wracking in a lot of ways. Not for maybe the reasons that some people might might find or might think because quite frankly the the upfront role wasn't the part that scared me i've i've been doing theater since like the 6th grade so i wasn't i wasn't i just i don't get like stage fright whenever i'm teaching or speaking that just doesn't happen. I don't experience it there. I do experience it if I ever have to sing in front of people, but that's a different story. Um, so <laughs> if I have to, if I have to speak or teach it, that doesn't bother me. So it wasn't that part. It was, it was two things. Uh, one was the fact that what I had watched Jason do for a decade is <clears throat> the way that he would manage the room, the way that he would facilitate the whole the whole crowd, right? The whole audience, mm -hmm. which is different than yeah. facilitating a small group, right? Correct. I, I'd facilitated small groups, but I'd never had to facilitate a, a group that size on this particular right. topic. And so I wasn't sure how I would do that. That was part of it. And I, and I talked with Jason about that before I, you know, agreed. <laughs> and after I agreed, I also talked to him and said, okay, <laughs> give me, give me a crash course. How do I do this? Right. Uh, but the, the thing that probably, 
the, the, I, I said two things, but really it's three things. Cause the, the second thing <laughs> is twofold. One of the, one of the things that it, that was the most challenging was the fact that now my story and, and really our story. So I really, you know, I had to get buy-in from my wife and she was, she was really on board from the beginning. Um, but, but our story was going to be available to a much larger audience than before. Right. I'd shared my story in a lot of different capacities in kind of small group settings and one on one and various places like that. But but not at this level and certainly not at the level where it might be recorded and <laughs> and people would share it with other people. Right. Like that was that was going right. to be different. So I so and now it's going to be, you know, on a podcast. Right. Um, so, I, you know, that was a bit daunting. Uh, but there was also this other piece where it was like I was being handed a child who had been raised to about 17, you know, maybe had one more year of high school left uh, and then was going to go to college. And, and it was like, Hey, you know, you're going to adopt this child now. Uh, and, and they're great. Like they get straight A's and they're, they're wonderful and servant hearted and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Don't screw them up. <laughs> right. Like I mean, handed this, I mean, handed this workshop that is, so good. And I've seen the, I've seen the fruit of it for, for a decade now I'm, I'm being handed this and I'm feeling like, Oh my gosh, please, 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 God, don't let me screw this up. Don't let me mess this <laughs> up. Right. So that was, it was daunting in that way for sure. sure. But, but sure. I'll say this. All right. So that's kind of the negative side of it. The positive side of it is that, Oh my gosh, it's been so rewarding. It's just been so mm. rewarding to be able to, I, I mean, I tell, I tell people this all the time. I have the privilege of sitting on the front row, like 50 yard line and watching God work miracles in people's mm -hmm. lives. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <clears throat> and I get paid to do that. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's a good gig, <laughs> right? The twofer. Yeah. 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 So I'm, 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 I'm so honored and, and just privilege to be in the role that I am. I, I love teaching. Uh, I have always, I think, certainly in my adult life, I've always loved teaching. I love being able to explain things to people in a way that allows the light bulb to go on or, mm -hmm. or challenges them to, to look at something in a different way. Uh, I, I, I try to be engaging and, and that's, it's, that's really fun work for me. Yes, and and that comes through at the workshop too. I, I've witnessed that firsthand, and so that that really comes through, and that that's really, it's really fun to watch, because it it shows that that love of teaching and and really engagement, the the engagement piece with with the guys at the workshop that that really shows up. So that's mm, that's true. That's awesome. That yeah, that really comes through. All right. So before we wrap things up here, um, what's been the best part about the work? that you that you do what, what's been the best part for you that you could if you if you had to name one thing what would that mm. be yeah yeah I, you know i would say the best part of the work is the astounding fact that god could take this mess of my life the very things that i thought were so shameful that they should stay hidden forever no one should ever know about this, that God could take that stuff and use it to help other people. I mean, I'm blown away by that. 
Yeah. I mean, how, yeah. how good is God that he can take, uh, you know, forgive my language, crap, right? The crap that, I, <laughs> that I've done, the horrible ways that I've lived, the, the harm that I've done to myself, the harm that I've done to others, that he could take that and use it to bring about good and healing in other people's lives and their journeys is uh, amazing to me. And that's, yeah, I'm, that's the best thing. Wow. Yeah. That, I resonate with that too. That's, that's, that's a great description. That is a great description. All right. Well, we need to wrap this up for today. Uh, JJ, thank you for an in-depth look. Uh, and we, we both know there's, there's way more to the story and there's way more chapters to be written. Yeah. You know, God is going to write a whole lot more for JJ West and the, uh, every man's battle workshop, the intimacy and in marriage, the, uh, the podcast. Um, so if, if, if you're hearing this, you know that there are other workshops that every man's that new life has, uh, we're going to invite you to go to the, the website, newlife.com. Or you could call uh, the office at 1-800-639-5433. That's 1-800-NEW-LIFE. And get some more information uh, about anything that you've heard today as far as the workshop and as far as for JJ's story. Uh, We're going to ask you to, to stay tuned for more because mm-hmm. more will be revealed. More, He'll talk way more about uh, his journey and his life as we get into these podcasts and so I hope that you have enjoyed this. JJ, thank you so much for giving us a, a, a tour of JJ mm. Westville. And <laughs> hey, Doug, uh, we th- hope th- for thanks, more. Thanks as well. Thanks as well for uh, just the way that you have <clears throat> helped uh, uh, unpack the story today. I uh, really have enjoyed it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So uh, we will have more podcasts coming. So uh, for today, we will say goodbye, but uh, stay tuned for more. If you need help with sexual integrity, call New Life Ministries at 1-800-NEW-LIFE. That's 1-800-639-5433 or go to newlife.com.